This is a CBC Podcast. When I was a little guy, my parents gave me my first record player. It was a white plastic one with a big picture of Mickey Mouse, and they gave me my first single, too. I remember carefully sliding that little 45 out of its paper sleeve and so gently placing Mickey's arm over that spinning disc and then it was magic rocking me by the Steve Miller band and yeah I had good taste in music when I was five I got older and started buying my own records and I'd spend hours admiring the cover art and pouring over the liner notes and listening to albums from beginning to end. But then records went the way of the dodo, replaced by cassette tapes, then CDs. And of course, we ditched those when digital streaming came along. Except vinyl has made a comeback. Lots of people are buying turntables. And it's not just nostalgic baby boomers, millennials and Gen Zers, too. Some say albums sound richer and deeper. Others like the slowness of savoring a whole LP. Which makes you wonder if progress is always as progressive as we think it'll be. I'm Duncan McHugh, and this is a hell of a story. In Canada, when planes and cars became more popular, they were faster, way more convenient, trains got left in their dust. But what did we lose as a result? According to producer Craig Desson, a lot. Here's his documentary. Looking down the aisle of seats, ticket in my hand, 16D. Oh, excuse me, moi. Pouvez-vous déplacer votre sac? Your bag is on my seat. Thank you. We're on train 69 from Montreal to Toronto. I suggest getting comfortable. It's a five-hour trip. Oh, and the food cart should be here very soon. So best to start thinking about your order. There's two layers of windows. So you break the first layer to go through the second one. And then I love the train. I love how you can just spread out in your space. And I love how it takes you from the heart of one downtown to another. It's civilized in a way that driving yourself down the highway strapped to your seat will never be. Now, of course, in Canada, a love of traveling by train can only take you so far. Take this train. It goes from where I live in Montreal to Toronto, so between Canada's two biggest cities. In most developed countries, this train would leave every hour, with departures continuing late into the night. Here, there are only a couple trains a day. And I'm lucky. I live in what's called the Quebec City-Windsor Corridor, which is the best place to be if you want to travel by train in Canada. 
But many large cities have very few or even no passenger trains. And we just live with it. But here's the thing. With climate change, trains, especially once electrified, can have an important role in creating a low-emission alternative to the plane and the car. And that's already happening in Europe. Especially now, you know, I mean, cars are used less and less. That's Kaya Tanderlich, a journalist in Germany I met while on a fellowship there a couple years ago. Many young people don't even have a car anymore, you know, because they just rely on uh, public transport and um, they just enjoy using trains, especially now also with the energy crisis, with the climate change, going back and forth between Berlin and Hamburg, for instance, is quite common. So you wouldn't you wouldn't fly like you wouldn't fly to end to Hamburg ever. No way, no way. Me on the other hand, I would certainly dream of flying to Toronto. In fact, I do it all the time because sometimes it's cheaper than taking the train. That's kind of the way it is in Canada. That high carbon burning, inefficient transportation like the car and the train is just how we get around, and that's the way it's always been, at least. That's what I thought, until I got COVID. (coughs) Which led to a solid week of lying in bed and scrolling through social media, which is when I came across an old train map of Quebec and Ontario from 1948, covered from east to west in thick black lines, decorated with tiny white circles indicating train routes. It looked like a subway map of Manhattan, except it covered two provinces, and it showed their passenger train service. And you could go everywhere by train. The Muskokas, the Laurentians, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, even Prince Edward Island, thanks to a train ferry. They actually put the train on a boat. If these routes existed today, and we switched them from diesel power to electricity, we would have an alternative to driving and flying that requires way less energy and could even be carbon neutral. So all aboard, we're going on a journey to uncover what happened to Canada's once glorious passenger rail service and find out if we can ever get it back. When I was a child and a teenager, train travel was routine for nearly everybody that could afford to travel. This is Harry Gao. He is a transport advocate at Transport Action Canada, which is an advocacy group for public transportation. He is also, and I think you'll forgive me for saying this, old enough to have ridden the rails near the end of the golden age of Canadian passenger trains as a child in the late 1930s. I went for some places that you couldn't go by train now. I went, for instance, to Newfoundland. Uh, and rode a train partway across the island. I went right across Prince Edward Island by train, having gotten there from New Brunswick in a train ferry. And listening to Harry, I find out that not only could you go anywhere by train, it was also glamorous. If you were in a sleeping car, the uh, decor was uh, mostly in dark, precious woods, well-varnished, kept clean by the porter. If one wanted to do a bit of reading or write a letter, one could go to the observation car. And there would always be important businessmen smoking stogies in the back of the business car watching the track as we went down the line. You go back 100 years, there was electric 
railroads and they were running commuter lines between Hamilton and Toronto and all these kind of other sort of small towns or, or even suburbs. And there was a real push to electrify that infrastructure. That's Ryan Katz-Rosen. He's a University of Ottawa professor who has studied rail infrastructure and climate change. And if we had just gone more in that direction, you know, we would be living in an alternate universe where we feasibly could have like decarbonized. The beginning of the end started in the 1920s. when train ridership began a downward spiral. In 1920, rail passengers in Canada took the train 51 million times. And the population of Canada then was less than 9 million people. By 1925, the number of trips had dropped to 41 million. One reason, people discovered the pleasures of a road trip for the first time and fell in love with the automobile. Here's an article from The Globe in 1920 about just this. The public has deserted the railroads for the roads. It is an expression of the rediscovery of the charm of road travel. There are towns 50, 80, and 100 miles away, whence excellent motor cars now ply daily to the metropolis during the summer months. They give time for lunch in town, a little shopping, or a visit to a matinee, and they return soon enough for late dinner. And the average charge rarely exceeds the present first-class railway fares. The arrival of the car was like the advent of the internet. It was revolutionary, and the old ways were cast aside. Anthony Pearl is a professor at SFU who sat on the Via Rail board from 2008 to 2012. The car culture all seemed very positive and progressive. And then you had this technology that seemed obsolete from the 19th century, sort of like the uh, stagecoach or the uh, voyageurs, canoes. They really were of a different time and you wouldn't expect to keep them running in parallel with the uh, highways and the uh, airports. Sticking with our internet analogy, the train was a lot like cable TV. You had a handful of companies playing gatekeeper. They decided when and where everyone got to go. The car was freedom from the train schedule. You could just hop in and go wherever you wanted, cruising down the highway with the windows open and the stereo blasting. People loved driving. And so did businesses. Trucks meant competition for freight trains. And so did politicians. They loved the way cars created new jobs in automotive plants. By 1956, it was estimated that 29,000 Canadians worked in the automotive industry. But it goes deeper than that. The car roared into our world and installed itself at the heart of our culture in North America. Harry again. You opened up the uh, Saturday Evening Post, and there was an ad for a shiny red Buick. My God, you know, everyone in America and Canada would like to have a shiny red Buick. So we had consensus. It was time to cancel the passenger train. But first, we had to build highways and roads, lots of them. And they're not cheap. The Canadian government invested billions of dollars into road infrastructure. According to the Canadian Encyclopedia, in 1966, the Canadian taxpayer spent $4.5 billion on roads in a single year. 
adjusted for inflation, that is $39.3 billion today. And it's a similar story for the airplane. The federal government saw the obvious potential for airplanes in a country as large as Canada and began to invest in building a state-of-the-art airport network. By the 1960s, Canada had world-class highways and air travel. So where did that leave the train? Passenger train service in Canada is doomed. The system is being phased out in the interests of air transit. The government was giving subsidies to rail companies to keep their money-losing passenger routes going. The railway unions have charged that Canadian Pacific is deliberately downgrading its passenger service so that it can collect more money and subsidies from the Canadian taxpayer. Passenger levels kept falling into the 1970s. The train companies wanted out of passenger rail. But it wasn't all doom and gloom. Here's Ryan Katz-Rosen from the University of Ottawa. We have this really strange experience in Canada where we were one of the first countries to actually have a high-speed train, but we never had a high-speed rail system. We never were able to use it at its full capacity. It ran in Canada from the 1960s into the early 80s. It took three hours and 59 minutes to go from Toronto to Montreal. That's more than an hour faster than it takes today on VIA. And it was running 50 years ago. But it had trouble reaching its top speed because it shared tracks with freight trains. And it had to slow down at railway crossings. It was also plagued with technical problems. So the train was phased out. The once familiar call all aboard has been disappearing with the decline of rail travel. On Monday, Otto Lang, the Minister of Transport, announced a new plan for passenger train service called Via Rail Canada. The plan calls for gradual consolidation. In 1977, the government created Via Rail, a crown corporation that would deliver passenger rail in Canada. But from the very beginning, it faced problems. Many of the same ones it still faces today. Its biggest by far is that VIA does not own most of the tracks it runs on. According to VIA, their trains are often late because they are using the same tracks as freight trains who have the right of way over passenger trains. VIA says this impacts their on-time performance and limits how many trains they can run in a day. And VIA's on-time performance was only 72% in 2021. And operating this way is also costly to VIA. Here's Anthony Pearl again. He used to sit on the VIA board. Let's just say that it's a monopoly pricing situation. VIA Rail pays for the use of the tracks that CN owns. And CN will correctly point out that they make money running freight trains over those tracks. And they charge VIA a lot of money for the opportunity cost of not being able to run as much freight on their tracks because those passenger trains take up the time and the space. Next comes the political problem. Here is Ryan again. There's a long history of VIA being at the whims of the government of the day, right? It's a crown corporation, so it's funded by the federal government. And the federal government, you know, has sometimes been very supportive of of passenger rail. And then another government shows up and the whole plan gets kiboshed. VIA also faced headwinds from its main competitors. Here's what As It Happens uncovered in 1979. Somebody in the Federal Ministry of Transport doesn't like passenger trains. 
In two documents prepared for the new Minister of Transport, officials recommend that train fares be kept higher than bus fares to appease the bus industry. Les Benjamin. Austerity dealt the final blow. From the early 80s through the mid-90s, both liberal and conservative governments repeatedly slashed via's budget as part of the government-wide effort to bring down the ballooning federal deficit. The impact on rail service was impossible to miss. First, a look at the Maritimes. This is VIA's route map now. By next January, service to such cities as Yarmouth, Sydney and Edmonston will be a thing of the past. In central Canada, Quebec keeps most of its service. Meanwhile, Europe was building up its high-speed intercity rail network throughout the 80s and 90s. Shoshana Sachs is a Canadian research chair in sustainable infrastructure at the University of Toronto. So in Canada, we had a mythology that the future was going to be automobile-oriented, that in the future everyone would drive, and that that was the version of a good life. In Europe, they had a different imagination, a different mythology about their future, and it was more related to rail. And for both places, these became self-fulfilling prophecies. We imagined a future based around cars. They imagined a future more based around trains. And we lived up to our mythologies in both instances. And now, you know, 50, 60, 70 years have gone by. We can see uh, who made the better choice. And spoiler alert, it wasn't us. By the turn of the century, some Canadian political leaders were having second thoughts about turning away from train travel. David Collinet was the federal transport minister from 1997 to 2003. He saw the potential for passenger rail in Canada. But he said it wasn't easy convincing his cabinet colleagues to put money back into VIA. There was an, an attitude is like, why should the government pay for that? Everybody has their hands out and says, OK, if you, you want to spend all that money on VIA, uh, well, what about us? And you've had an, a mindset within the bureaucracy to say, oh, well, you know, uh, people will drive and uh, people will fly. When he was the minister, he was able to get hundreds of millions of dollars invested into VIA. But it was to fix the basics, not building a serious competitor to the car or the airplane. It left passenger rail service in Canada in a tenuous spot. So, Canada's once extensive rail network was outdone by the car, the plane, and budget cuts. But now, we're in a climate crisis. Here's Anthony Pearl again. Electric cars with batteries can do that also, but there are huge limits on the cost and the efficiency of lugging around all those batteries. Whereas a train needs just a wire or a, another rail with the, the current flowing through it and can get over 80% efficiency, energy efficiency of directly from the, the source. Plus, if trains were electrified, they would have an energy advantage that no other mode of transportation has. Except for ships, which uh, can also be wind-powered, uh, rail is the mode of transportation that has shown itself to be the most energy-diverse and adaptive mode of mobility. A train started out using wood. They would literally cut down trees and throw them in the uh, boilers. Then they switched to coal. Then they switched to oil. And uh, now at least the latest state-of-the-art trains are able to use uh, electricity, which can come from many renewable sources. VIA is also getting the largest investment in a generation, including new locomotives that burn less diesel and can be electrified. Plus, VIA just got new modern train cars, but there's still no beverage or restaurant cars. There's also a plan for what it calls high-frequency rail. VIA would have its own tracks between Quebec City and Toronto, 
A trip between Ottawa and Toronto could take 3 hours and 15 minutes, according to VIA, instead of the 4 hours and 45 minutes it can take today. There is also a plan to electrify the majority of these tracks. The future of rail in Canada remains an open question. Nationally, we're seeing baby step improvements at best. And the chances of ever replicating that old 1948 map of Quebec and Ontario I found, with its overlapping spiderwebs of rail lines stretching out in every direction, that's unlikely. Rail service into rural Canada probably isn't improving much either. But there are signs of hope, especially in and around the country's largest cities where there's been a significant investment in light rail. It won't take you across the country, but it will get you in and out of the city. And out of your car. One of the brightest spots? C'est ici à Montréal. So we're in the epicenter of the REM project, corner of St. Catherine and McGill College, right next to two construction sites from our perspective. So one of retrofitting the five That's Harut Chetilien, an executive with the organization developing the REM an enormous light rail project under construction in Montreal right now that will run on electricity. The REM is one of the biggest infrastructure projects in the world. So it's 67 kilometers of new light rail, 26 stations, fully automated, and that will service many, many communities. So around 11 cities, eight boroughs of the city of Montreal and that will ultimately carry about 170,000 passengers a day when it's fully operational. In only four years' time, we have already a fully functional segment of the project that's 16.6 kilometers long with five stations, and that will be operational next spring. 67 kilometers of rail lines, even light rail, is a lot for Canada, especially to have parts of it up and running so quickly. And the Quebec government has come up with a novel way to fund the construction, Harut works for a subsidiary of the Caste Depot et Placement du Québec. The province's public pension fund has jumped into the train game. So we call it public-public because the case is the funds of most Quebecers. So we have close to 6 million depositors who are the pensioners of Quebec. And basically what the case is doing is, is building a system. And every time a transit user takes that system... Part of the revenues will go into financing uh, the retirees of Quebec. They're also reusing rail from the glory days of trains. The REM trains will travel under Mount Royal in a train tunnel built in 1918 by the Canadian Northern Railway. Harut is also a lifelong fan, like me, of rail. And he hopes that the REM could be part of its renaissance. The historical aspect of uh, rail development fascinates me as individually. The, the shift from one technology, if I may, to the other was done because of speed. So steamships were kind of uh, set aside because rail was faster than steamships. And at one point, highways came along and cars offered a faster service that was a more comfortable one because you're in your own car. And rail was basically gradually put aside. But what we're seeing right now is that rail has an enormous potential, not because of only the speed component, but because our societies have a common goal of reducing greenhouse gases. Well, I'm pulling into the station. I can see the skyline of Toronto out my window. Hearing about the REM and what is going on with high-frequency rail in Quebec and Ontario 
it sounds like this might be the end of rail's decline in Canada and the start of a new chapter. It's been great riding with you, and hopefully in the future, I'll run into you in the club car. That documentary was produced by Craig Dessen with the CBC Audio Doc Unit. Now, when Craig was digging around in the archives, he found a cool piece of tape from Cross Country Checkup in 1980 that we wanted to share with you. This is Cross Country Checkup, Canada's passenger rail service. Host Wayne Grigsby was asking callers whether passenger rail should be abandoned. His guest was the president of Via Rail, Frank Roberts. A lot has changed in the past 40 years, but amazingly, we're still asking some of the same questions about passenger trains. Have a listen. Cross-country checkup, where are you calling from? Vancouver. Should we abandon passenger trains? Definitely not. Why not? Well, because the train is what linked this country to begin with, and it's still a very important means of transportation. Okay, but are we more attached to the the romance of trains uh, than we are willing to get on them? Well, I think people are very willing to get on them, but depending on their time, on the time that they have to travel. Okay, do you take passenger trains? Uh, no, I, can't, I don't anymore, because if I go anywhere, like back east, I don't have three days to get there. Well, isn't that an argument for, for cancelling passenger trains? Not at all, because there are very many, many people, especially old-age pensioners who have all the time in the world and would love to get around to see this country, who do it exactly that way. My parents live out east in Ontario, and they come out by train all the time, and they quite enjoy it. Do they find it more expensive than flying? Oh, good heavens, no. Much, much cheaper, and that's why I say we should hang on to it. It's an affordable means of transportation. The last time I looked at the fares uh, to, to go, let's say, from Toronto or Montreal out to Vancouver, I found it was a lot cheaper for me to fly. Oh, I can't imagine what you were looking at. That's I, was, I was looking at, a, at a, either a berth or a, or a bedroom. Mr. Roberts is nodding his head. It is more expensive, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. But I agree with you that there's a tremendous attraction to transcontinental service. How come you you know, if you want that was a bit of tape from Cross Country Checkup over 40 years ago, and <laughs> that show hasn't changed much, and there's something really nice about that. That's it for this week's Hello Story. The show is produced by Tanara McLean, Julia Poggle, and me. We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. And hey, if you like what you're hearing on Hell of a Story, do us a solid, hit subscribe, save to your favorites, tell a friend about us. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Duncan McHugh. Jimmy Gwitch, thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.